Hello, New York, and welcome back to another episode of New York Take a Walk. World Series is over. MLB season is over, which means Ethan, Max, and I are very sad. Uh, gentlemen, how are we today? I'm doing good. You know, we just witnessed a really good World Series. I think it was the Rays came into this with a new style of play that we haven't really seen just in a while or at all, really, with the new bullpen scheme, and it ends up biting them at the end. But we have a lot to talk about, and this was a fun World Series. I'm happy for the Dodgers at the end of the day. They might have, in a sense, got cheated out of two World Series in the past three years, but four years, but they're back, and they've won the World Series, and it was, it was a really fun one. Absolutely. And coming into this one, like for the first time before the two World Series, I was rooting for the Red Sox and the Astros with the Dodgers. I was full on Dodgers in this. I wanted them to get that ring. I wanted Kershaw to get that ring. And it happened and I could not be happier for that organization just because, you know, at, at the beginning, you're thinking this is the big, bad, evil empire, like generally what people think of the Yankees, to be honest with you. So you're not rooting for them. Mm -hmm. But then as time goes, you start to like the team a little bit more and you want those legends and potential hall of famers to get that rank for themselves yeah i mean really the dodgers just have been so close so many times in this decade that they really just do for the title and at this point you have you kind of wanted them to win because they've just been there so many times that like come on now like let's get the ring at this point and they did they finally got the ring we'll get more into the world series later in the show but i want to shift gears into the mets ownership uh, mayor de Blasio, uh, the, New York, the mayor of New York City, is trying to block Steve Cohen from purchasing the Mets. Now, I don't really think that's going to happen, but it's kind of crazy to see this all unfold. I wonder why he wants to do it. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there that don't like Steve Cohen. And so a little background, my, fr my best friend, his uncle is Mike Rapoli, and he was in on the other bid for the Mets with A-Rod and J-Lo and such and that whole group. So I know his family was really upset when they didn't get it. And they were actually mad at Steve Cohen because something happened within the bidding and Steve Cohen kind of just like disrespected them saying like, oh, I have $14 billion and I'm going to use it to beat you. And he ended up doing it, obviously. And now he's out here. And I know that there's a lot of criticism. Mets fans are happy bringing him in because of all the money and hope he brings. But I know there's a lot of people in the real world that real world that don't like Steve Cohen. And I don't know why personally. Maybe I could do some research and figure out exactly. But I think it's weird because out of all that's going on in this world this year, 2020 has been like the most horrendous year ever. And all of a sudden, there's finally hope on the, the Queen side of New York and Mayor de Blasio is trying to stop this. I don't think he will stop it. I think by the end of the week, we will have Steve Cohen as our official owner of the New York Mets. I just think it's kind of weird that this is happening. And yeah, it's just kind of a weird situation that this is trying to be vacated. And I'm curious why. Yeah, I think they're, this is like the hardest path to becoming an owner I've seen possible. Didn't the Wilpons take it back like a few months ago when the thing first started? And, yep, yep. you know, it makes you wonder, Ethan, and you too, uh, Steve, is there any sort of shadiness with Steve Cohen now looking into this? Of course, shadiness might not yeah. be the correct word, but you, know, you might be a little questionable coming into this. Now, the fact that you saw the Wilpons take it away first, I don't know what that exactly was for. Maybe it just had to do with money or something like that. And then the second time now you're seeing him potentially getting it taken away again. No, I think the, so if we timeline the Met, they tried to sell the team earlier in the last off season. And I think 
what I think is what happens. We obviously don't know the whole story. No one's going to ever know the story between the Wilpons and Steve Cohen at the end of the day. But apparently the Wilpons wanted more control than their mm-hmm. 5% late. And Steve Cohen was only paying like one point something for the team. And they were like, you know what? That's not worth it. We're going to back out. And then Steve Cohen got completely screwed over at that point. The MLB was like, we might not allow Steve Cohen to buy a team again because of whatever happened in this process because something went wrong. Excuse me. And now he's back and he obviously purchased the team. So there's got to be something shady with the purchase. Maybe he's just not a good person. Probably he could could easily just not be a good person. And that's why the owners don't want him. I'm pretty sure. I'm not 100% sure, but he tried to purchase another team in the past. I want to say it was the Dodgers, but I could easily be wrong. And that was during, that was right before Magic Johnson purchased ownership for from the Dodgers or his partial ownership from the Dodgers. But I could easily be wrong, but maybe that's the reason why uh, Steve, this whole Steve Cohen process has been a little interesting. Obviously, if it goes through with the Mets, they are going to be put in a phenomenal position this offseason because when you think about it, all these other owners lost so much money this season because of revenue losses. But Steve Cohen wasn't a part of that. That was the Wilpons. So Steve Cohen's coming in there with a fresh fresh pocket. And this could be a huge impact on the offseason because that can give the Mets some leverage on who they can really go after. And that's why people are saying, oh, maybe Trevor Bauer the Mets maybe a George Springer to the Mets and all those things are really possible because the Mets technically technically speaking didn't lose money no oh, yeah they're gaining and I think this is like you know the scenario I feel like a good metaphor is when you buy the membership in a video game and all of a sudden you unlock these new perks and so forth and you have so much more access to stuff and I think that's the same exact story that's happening with the Mets here and let's not forget too next year is one of the biggest free agency classes we've seen in forever with Trevor Story, Francisco Lindor, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager and so forth just to list off a handful of names that'll be free agents too assuming they don't re-sign with their teams. All middle infielders so, right there. Yeah especially because well but Ahmed Rosario, maybe if he's not planning and working out how you were planning him to or Jimenez as well, uh, you could really, really go with one of those big guys too. But this is good timing for them. And I think that definitely if it works out, which it should, uh, it could really benefit the Mets in the long run for sure. Oh, yeah. And that's also part of the reason that most Mets fans are happy because we really haven't had a team that we went out there and really spent money because the Mets and an overall position can be in a winning position. You know, they got the, they have the guys, they just kind of need to put the puzzle pieces together. And that's kind of been the problem ever since 2015. And I believe that Steve Cohen also said that he'd be willing to put down 400 to $500 million in his first two years of ownership towards players, (laughs) which is just something that's almost just, I mean, he takes that out of his pocket. I was going to say that's almost unheard of too. In one off season, 400 to $500 million. First two years, first two years. Oh, okay. Well, still, yeah. that's pretty. That's pretty big. Still, I wonder how much he'll go past the luxury tax. I guess we'll see. I got. It looks like he's gonna go past the tax. Oh, I'm sure. It depends what he does because I mean, at the end of the day, he could. It's kind of like the Knicks. I know. I don't know if you guys follow basketball, but the Knicks at one point were like, "Oh, we're gonna have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Zion Williamson." Obviously, this well, that's a little different. But also, all of a sudden, none of these guys wanted to come to New York. Yeah, Kyrie because Irving that that's Dolan as the owner right there. Okay, and no, he, you're right. You're he right. was an established owner for the Knicks. Like, I guess with Steve Cohen is that no one knows how he is as an owner. No, you're right. So it could easily be different, but the concept is, wow, James Dolan has been, ever since he took over the Knicks, 
Knicks have just been absolutely brutal. They had like one good year in like '99, <laughs> and like, and all these teams they have are bust, giving terrible contracts everywhere, like Eddie Curry and uh, Joakim Noah and all this stuff. They just Andre Bagnari. Like I, I think that's a little different. Let's move forward. We're gonna have more off-season talk in future episodes, but let's talk about a little bit of the now, and that is the Dodgers winning the World Series. Going back on it, the last time we had an episode, there was only one game apiece. Game three was kind of just a Dodgers dominant game, but game four was one of the craziest baseball games, if not the craziest baseball game I've ever seen, and it really showed why I love the game of baseball so much with the Phillips walk-off uh, chaos. I wouldn't even call it a walk-off base hit, just a walk-off chaos. It was a base hit, but it was just everything that unfolded there was just so insane and so beautiful that it's something that I will remember forever, even though it didn't involve one of my teams or excuse me, my, the Yankees, but it didn't involve the Mets too. It's just, it's just like, I can't even describe it. It's just, wow. No. Yeah. I think it's our, for now, at least our modern day Bill Buckner moment in a way, just how crazy it was, or you could even compare it back. I think it was definitely crazier than the Will Middlebrooks ending in the 2013 world series. And actually I was looking at the win probability added change per average play. And it was at about 7% in comparing that to the 2011 game six against the Cardinals and 2017 game five Astros uh, Dodgers. It was about uh, three tenths of a percent higher than that. So I think there's a fair argument that that was one of the most exciting world series games of all time, just with the back and forth, the twist and turns, I think it was eight consecutive half innings with scoring a run uh, on either end, which is a record too. Uh, there's, we rarely see baseball games like that in general. And the fact that it was in a world series and the Rays beating the Goliath and the Dodgers is absolutely amazing in my opinion. And again, as you said, I won't forget it as well. Let me tell you, there's nothing better than the world series. It absolutely never fails. There's always one game every year that you'll probably remember, but over just thinking about like what I, what we, excuse me, what we could all remember 20, 2011 with freeze, obviously said 20, 13 with Metal Brooks, that crazy interference call. One of them that sticks out to me is 2017 game five as what I actually pictured. One is one of my favorite world series games ever. Like I'll never forget where I was during that. And I can assure you, I'll never forget where I was during this one as well. Sitting in my room at the edge of my bed, pretty much for the full nine innings. You could have thought I was watching a Mets game because usually that's what I'm doing during a Mets game, but it just had me so entertaining. I feel like this whole series was, but just the whole story. I mean, this guy comes up. He's not on the ALC, ALCS roster. He comes onto the World Series roster. And he's not even supposed to be batting realistically. He gets last guy on the bench. Last guy on the bench. He's supposed to be a defensive replacement. And there's extended rosters in the postseason. He comes up. He looked nervous. His first two first, he looked at the first three pitches. So it was a one-two count to Kenley Jensen. He looked like he was almost praying to God looking up at the sky. He gets a kind of like a hanging cutter in a sense and rips it into right field at least tied the game and obviously two hours later Arosa Reina scored and won this game and it just at that point it made it a really fun series because the Dodgers win that it's 3-1 and then it's just the Dodgers might have closed it out in five and it would have been a fun series but the fact that it went to six just made it that much more fun and just in that sense 
What was crazy about it, too, is one, Chris Taylor has been a solid to slightly above average outfielder this year anyway. Uh, he hadn't played as many innings in center field, so I will give him that. But Cody Bellinger, who's one of the best defensive outfielders in Major League Baseball, if not one of the best center defensive center fielders in Major League Baseball, was supposed to be in that game in the outfield, but was scratched through the back spasms. Just the little things that add up to that situation. Uh, then you have Will Smith behind the plate, who had been DHing uh, the last couple of games prior because Austin Barnes was in there, one, for defensive reasons, and two, he's Kershaw's personal catcher. Everything that adds up to that is just amazing in my opinion and that's baseball for you the little circumstances you know I think that's what makes baseball stand out compared to a lot of other sports is maybe not what's exactly happening on the field but what leads Mm -hmm. up to that and then you get those chaotic crazy moments and it makes it so much more satisfying when they play out because of everything that led up to it I feel like there's just so many great stories in baseball exactly it's a story yeah it's a narrative yeah I think you can I think that what makes the sport so beautiful is that with Everyone, everyone that I know who's played baseball, at least for an extended period of time, can look upon a moment in their career and have a memorable moment. Like no matter what, something similar to that or just something that, you know, will stick with you forever, whether it's adversity and over, overcoming it, whether it's just a cool walk off, a cool tournament you've been to, a moment you have with maybe your high school team, your college team. There's just so many things to look back on that you can always remember just because I just feel like baseball is just such like a, it really is a team sport. That's so cliche for me to say, but because I know there's obviously like those individual aspects, but I think like this sport creates such a brotherhood because let's like, let's think about basketball for a second. Basketball. There's a lot of things like AAU. AAU is like your main thing to, getting into college. I think when it comes to baseball, a lot of it's coming with your high school. Yes, there's travel club ball, but a lot of it's with your high school where you're growing up together. You're playing on the same travel teams together. Then usually when you get to high school, you branch off the club teams in the summer, but you return and you play with your high school. There's just a brotherhood that really just develops. And that just makes the game so beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, or go ahead. Okay, so yeah, so I was going to say, like, we all play club baseball. I feel like we've all gotten so close because of that aspect. And Brett Phillips said it the best. I mean, that was probably one of my favorite post-game interviews of all time. He was barely even – couldn't even put his emotions into words. He literally said that uh, straight up. But he said that something along those lines that it was just all 26 of those guys. It wasn't just him getting that base hit. It was Rosarena – well, actually, a Rose, I think a Rosarena actually got intentionally walked, I think – but it was just everything leading up to that, all seven or eight pitchers they used that game. Just incredible putting what baseball, what you need to do to win a baseball game in a World Series is just all 26 guys, everyone coaching, the first base coach, the third base coach, sending a Rosarena home initially. It's just everything had to add up perfectly for the Rays to win this game, the Dodgers to win in the other four games and such. Yeah, and Back to kind of what Steve was saying, too, about being a team and what Ethan added on to. The Dodgers are a phenomenal example of that. I feel like they're one of the few teams in Major League Baseball that has held on to a course since 2015 or so. I mean, look at your Corey Seegers and Jock Petersons who came up in 2005. Jansen, Justin Turner, Clayton Kershaw, and so forth. Austin Barnes been there, has been there for all three World Series runs. Cody Bellinger has been there for all three World Series runs. It, it's absolutely incredible, and you have to think it means so much more to that team that they did it together with a big core versus maybe 
And the Rays had great chemistry. Don't get me wrong. The culture on the Rays was fantastic, but they're definitely more of a different sort of team that was architected through trades and so forth. That's swapping guys in and out every other year, two different stories, both had great chemistry, but the Dodgers one is really fun because they did it together. And it's been a story that's been developing for the last three, four, five, six years, even you can argue. Yeah, it really has. And they finally got that ring and let's, Talk about game five quickly. Speaking of someone earning their ring, Clayton Kershaw, once again, it wasn't as dominant, I feel like, as his first start, but he did a good job. Dodgers won that game four to two. He didn't last as long. Roberts was pretty quick at going to the pen, which was pretty smart in the aspect of you really don't want Kershaw's career postseason thing to be in jeopardy his postseason numbers, I guess. And also with the off day being the next day, it's not that bad going to the bullpen that quickly. Dodgers won that game 4-2. It was a lot. and It was a little more intense. Some people might say it was more boring, but that was just because it was following that amazing game four. But I personally enjoyed that game. Great so did I. I think sure. that um, the key to that game was not only Kershaw going out there and doing his job. The Dodgers went up in the top of the first and jumped Glasnow immediately. You know, Betts walks up, leadoff double, right after Corey Seager, RBI single. Bellinger, RBI single. Jock Peterson smokes an opposite field home run. It's just the puzzle pieces adding up together, and then Kershaw all of a sudden walks on the mound with a 3 nothing lead. Yes, he gave up two runs, but he did his job. And at the end of the day, giving up two runs in a World Series start is not bad. And that wrapped up a really, really impressive postseason for Clayton Kershaw, something that he needed more than anything in the world. Yes, he was going to Cooperstown regardless, but there was always that chip on his shoulder that, damn, like I couldn't get it done in the in October. And this postseason had a sub three year rate all through all of October, and he got the job done. That would that's just awesome to hear. Yeah, and I think you hit it on the head right there, uh, Ethan. Just with Tyler Glass now at the very beginning, Kevin Cash needed a deep ball game from him. Overrated. So being able... <laughs> I wouldn't say overrated. He still overrated. has a high ceiling, but I definitely think. People took the 60 innings from 2019. Can, can I interrupt you for a second? Glasnow, this is mainly because I followed Jared Carabas on Parstool. And yes, Glasnow is really good. But man, this guy was just all over him. And every time he was all over him, as in Carabas was all over Glasnow, Glasnow just didn't do anything. <laughs> he Like, he didn't do anything. What? Like, even when... He was facing the Yankees. He did well, He did, but, like, not that well. He missed the lights out. He allowed four runs to the Yankees, and then he didn't go as long the first time around, got his job done, but, I mean, in game five. But still, like, he really – he's good. But issue is that he's two pitches right now, honestly. He's got the fastball. Yeah. He's got the curve. He's got to establish a better changeup. Mm-hmm. And I think his career could become – a little bit in trouble if he can't work on that third pitch because you've seen in the past with starters that if you can't develop that third pitch, you get rocked eventually. I remember a few years back after Severino's dominant rookie year, he was struggling the next year and they sent him down. They moved him to the pen. He did fine the pen because he had his fastball slider. But when he was in the minor leagues, he had to work on his changeup because at the end of the day, after a year around facing Major League Baseball, they're going to catch up to you. They're smart. They know how to make adjustments. If you just know that it's going to be a fastball or a slider for the most part, and you know that that third pitch really isn't good, and you know you can just lay off of it, it becomes easy for the hitter. Not like Astros easy with cheating, but 
it becomes easier because you can just sit fastball, adjust to the spin. No doubt. It's, oh, it sounds easier, obviously, than done, but yeah. Well, for a major league baseball player, it's definitely a quite an advantage for sure. And I think one of the biggest things about Glassdown, why he's definitely, I don't want to say overrated, but it's that everyone's basing it off of the 60 innings in 2019 in which he was absolutely dumb. And I think he that had was just me being mad. and so forth. No, 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 I know. But uh, people definitely, I don't want to say romanticized it, but got very excited for him thinking this is the ace. And he still can't be that guy. It's just, I think people jumped oh, on I the agree. train a little bit too early here. I mean, look at this postseason. He walked more guys in this entire postseason than he did in the entire two. 2019 season, which was 60 innings compared to about 20 innings. The command was awful, which goes more to what you were talking about. If the fastball command's not on, then you're just looking for a breaking ball and vice versa and so forth. And look, it's not going to work with the Dodgers because Glass now relies on strikeouts. It's one of the highest strikeout rates in Major League Baseball. And the Dodgers whiff and swing and miss on pitches out of the strike zones the least out of most Major League Baseball teams. They're very patient. And Tyler Glass now trying to rely on that strikeout. Even though he did strike out eight guys in his first start or whatever it was, nine guys maybe, it didn't work the same because they were able strike to draw Strikeouts are just strikeouts. Like, they don't right. really and it works against a lot of teams. It works, but, like, but it doesn't work against it. the Los Angeles Dodgers. But also, if you're, who cares if you're striking out a lot of people? Because if you're still allowing the hits and runs, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. And also, well, I think, all it I does, think, all, okay, it matters a little bit, but all it does is work up your pitch count. And when you need a st- length out of your pitcher, you don't want to – I well, don't the Rays love, don't take length out of their pitchers, which is, I, an, I think, another problem. Where, they go five which we'll five go into for game six in a second. But, but I was going to say, I was going to say, with the high strikeouts, you get a lot of swing and miss. So if they do put it in play, you know, it's going to be hit hard. I like but, strikeout pitchers, but like at the same time, it it takes away pitch count, and you can't. Okay, obviously strikeouts are important, but if you rely on the strikeout too much, it becomes an issue because your pitch count would usually be a lot higher. You can only go about five innings in general, which isn't bad for the Rays formula, but that specific start, it looked like that Kevin Cash was trying to get length out of Glasnow. No doubt. No, well, I agree with yeah, that. Do, do you guys got to think, this also goes back to the fact that he only throws two dominant pitches. He either goes that hard fastball and the sweeping, sweeping curveball. Two pitches as a starter, as you guys said, is not doing anything. hes I know for a fact he can develop a cutting fastball because sometimes his fastball cuts, and I don't know if that's intention or not. But say you mix in, so you got two types of fastballs, the one that cuts in and the one that goes straight, which is hard, not too controlled, but then he's got the curveball. You can obviously add in a slider that I know he tries to work with. So that's already four pitches. And if you mix in a changeup, he's at five, and then all of a sudden this – home run and hard hit problem can go down and Glasnow can be a dominant starter. And yes, I'm not saying it's easy for him to just go home, uh, figure out how to throw three more pitches, but it's something if he wants to survive in this major leagues, it's got to be adding more pitches because he is good. And he's shown those signs of being dominant. He just, his lack of control sometimes. And also just the fastballs just hang right over the plate because he misses a lot of fastballs. And as you said, Max, he didn't do that great against the Dodgers because of the fact that the Dodgers don't swing out of the zone. And when he entered the zone, when he needed to on two, one counts and two O counts, one O counts, most likely they were right down the middle. And that's where Mookie Betts took advantage first batter of the game, ripped it no down. down. The line. And I think the cut, I could be wrong. this. I think they were saying the cut was coming because he was having some mechanical issues. I think he was over rotating or something it's like that. Nasty though. No, he's nasty. He has a lot. He has stuff. He's the perfect example of dominant stuff, but you have to be able to command that stuff, which when he's on, he does, but it hasn't been on this entire year, basically. Uh, and that's the big issue for him. But again, let's remember, this is his second 
full, I put in quotes, mm-hmm. second full season. Uh, if he could stay healthy and, as you mentioned, figure out a third pitch that's dominant, then he can, you know, it doesn't need to be the same as his fastball or breaking ball, but as long as it can work well with those two other pitches, I think he'll be fine. But, yeah, he needs to be able to have that in his back pocket. But, look, I will say they don't let him go through a third time in the lineup, so he probably can survive off of that breaking oh, ball and fastball for the majority yeah. of the starts. Oh, yeah. Let's why don't we get the, into that? Because that frustrated all of us. Right now, as you guys know, I – I already had my analytics rant, analytics rant when it came to Jay Hap. <laughs> so, moving on to Game Six, Dodgers won the World Series. Uh, Corey Seager named MVP. I thought it could be Mookie Betts, but looking back on the numbers, it should have been Seager. I also thought it could have been Arias. Arias was actually really, really good. Oh, he, was, he was fun to so watch. Low key, yeah, I thought it could have been him too. That would have been a, I wouldn't have been surprised with him. Uh, but it was Seager. Good for him. Congratulations. But that won't be remembered. Unfortunately, it will be remembered about the Kevin Cash decision to pull Blake Snell when the Rays are leading 1-0 in the sixth inning when Snell had 73 pitches. He's allowed two hits, and that second hit just happened on a bloop single off the end of the bat, and he was about to face the top of the lineup again, who was 0 for 6 against him with six strikeouts. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't know about what analytics are telling him to take out Snell. That's like, what, what I analytics? Like, you're 0 for 6 defense. with six strikeouts. Okay, I'm, obviously, it's the third time through the order. Like, I don't even blah, blah, think that was necessary, do. But, like, who cares? Watch with your eyes. Watch with your eyes. It's, like, it's insane. Like, I understand how going through the, the order the third time is always difficult. As a pitcher myself, I completely know it's difficult. I struggled the first time through the order. So, I obviously know the third time <laughs> through the order is going to be hard myself. So... I completely get Kevin Cash's move in most instances, but there are numbers there for you that are going on in the game. And those numbers are telling you that the hitter so far today with how Snell is currently pitching is 0 for 6 with 6 strikeouts, meaning 0 for 6, and they are not touching him. No, I agree. And let's remember, too, that there's a game seven tomorrow and you could use that bullpen health if you win this ball or not. But you could use a more rested bullpen if you have a game seven that evening. They did not need to bring Nick Anderson or any bullpen guys for that. Nick Anderson has allowed a run in every postseason start. No, and that's a problem. I agree. I agree. But the other thing I was thinking about, too, is like, let's go back to game seven of the championship series. Charlie Morton was dominating, had 65 pitches or something like that. And he went through five and two thirds, gave up two seeing eye singles, and then he took him out. It worked. So no one's talking about it. But this time it didn't work. And I think you need to find that balance. Again, it got them there. I respect that. It got them to the regular season, got them to game six of the World Series. But in my opinion, with analytics, you have to use it more as information and not as your script. You have to be able to adjust based on what you see on the field. That's the biggest issue, in my opinion, because I wonder, did Kevin Cash want to keep Snell in this game? But knew that he was going to get in trouble from the front office and so forth and all the GMs and analytic guys that were going to say you have to take him out through the third time of the year. But to be honest with you, what if I you don't have a game. What if you I don't perfect game? Like I that. think it was just based on how Snell did in the sixth inning and seventh inning later this season was the analytics, if I had to guess. But there's just got to be a point where you take away from the analytics and just go based on what you're seeing. There's got to be a point. Snell threw 29 fastballs. Not one of them was put in play. His fastball, he throws that John Smoltz actually broke down his release point. He releases all four of his pitches from the same exact spot. And even though he only throws 95 to 96, it feels like 99 to 100 because he's coming at you with either a slider 
curveball or changeup, and it's just incredible watching him pitch. And that's just breaking Snell down, obviously. But just watching the game, I think everyone knew that there's got to be a point where Kevin Cash takes a step back, doesn't walk out there, maybe even just talks to him in a second and just be like, how are you feeling? You got the top of the order coming up. I know you've done well, but like, I got to, I have, I have a leash on you. They had the shortest leash on Snell. That was just unbelievable. And yes, it worked all season and it backs up that it worked in game seven with Charlie Morton. But this time it's just unexcusable in my point that you take him out. The bullpen has been used so much in this playoffs. You've got seven tomorrow. You're winning this game. The amount so of much exposure at that point. Like you've, you've seen the relievers so many times. Game you played, almost all year. You win one run games. You have the one run lead and you take your starter out. They deserve to lose that game when Kevin Cash walked out of that dugout and pulled Snell. And you could feel the momentum almost change a little bit. There was a different tone of the ballpark because the majority of the fans were Dodgers fans. It was very quiet. All of a sudden, you take Snell out. The Dodgers dug outside, fiving each other. The Dodgers fans are getting louder. You come into that ball game. Everyone knows the Dodgers now have a chance, at least in this inning. And then what do you know? Mookie Betts, it's a double down the left field line. The pitch, unfortunately, gets away from Mike Zanino. And then Mookie Betts with the Mookie Betts special, getting the good read off the bat of Seager and being able to score on the ground ball to first base. Uh, it... It was disappointing, and you know I think a lot of people will argue that it could have lost the Rays this World Series again. Everything, it's not just that play in the whole entire series, but that's going to be the big one that everyone looks back on. Yeah, I agree, and you know that's just that just stinks for the Rays because this was a fun series, but at the end of the day, that will bite them. And you know, Mookie Betts said as soon as Snell came out of the game, he said that all of a sudden there was just an energy flowing throughout that dugout that like, Oh, now we can really swing the bat. Mookie comes up and smokes a double down the left field line. He made it look easy. And as soon as that happened, it was over in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, that, at the end of the day, that's what the world series be remembered for. We'll get into next week about the controversy that went on post world series with a positive COVID test, but yep. That that's how it will be remembered, unfortunately. And maybe analytics will change after that. But that will wrap up this week's episode of New York Take a Walk. For Max Sander and Ethan Birch, I'm Steve Dirt, and happy Halloween, everyone.